Thank you for downloading this New Zealand Sports Radio show. We have a new way that you can support us. There is a link in the notes down below where you can make a one-off donation to New Zealand Sports Radio. Thank you for support and uh, enjoy the show. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to the long talk here on New Zealand Sports Radio. Um, and we have an absolute cracker for us today. Uh, we've got our second ever All Black on the show. And joining me to do this interview, I've got Stephen Harris. So, Stephen, do you want to give people a quick, uh, a, a quick kind of hint as to who, who we're going to bring on on next? Well, he's definitely a, a legend in the region that I that I hail from up in uh, up in Northland, and uh, in my opinion, he's one of the the great outside backs that has uh, come out of the northern area. You could put him right up there with guys like Dennis Panther, Norm Berryman in recent time, even though Norm played centre. I know this man we're about to introduce also played uh, at the centre as well. But I, I think if you gave him, genuinely gave him a rugby ball, he'd probably play anywhere on the on a rugby field. So we're blessed to have this uh, man. He's a, a, a former All Black, definitely a legend in the northern area. And of course, uh, well loved in this uh, Blues uh, franchise area as, as well. So I'll probably go ahead and introduce him. Rennie Ranger, fantastic to have you on board today. Yeah, cheers, mate. Um, appreciate being on the show. And um, yeah, cheers for the induction. Now, one of the things that I've noticed about the Tanifar up there in Northland is a uh, big hair. Is is there some sort of is 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 there, is there some sort of uh, rule that uh, to be part of the Tanifar you've got to have big hair? Is that is that a, is that kind of something that they uh, that, that some sort of team culture? Yeah, I don't know. I, was, I suppose a lot of the boys up north are pretty rugged, so there's not too much of the old fancy hairstyles. You know, the boys just like to just let their hair grow or beards or whatnot. You know. It's almost yeah, it's kind of caught on to a theme, and all the boys just started just you know chucking out the old long hair, dreadlocks, or afros. So, a bit of a theme up there, I guess. So, that wasn't a well, so because obviously there's you, there was what, what, uh, and Dan Pryor also, he's another guy with 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 the big dreads. Um, so there wasn't some sort of okay, guys, it, this is dreads year, everyone, you've all got to have dreads, um, if you want to be part of the kind of the the, the leadership team. Oh, we, yeah, I suppose, I think Dan Pro was the first one to get dreads. Like, there was actually a few of us that were actually came to get some dreads, and I ended up getting some, and then, oh, Matty Wright ended up getting some, and then I think the following year, old uh, young Petty Joe 
ended up getting some. So it kind of caught on with the dreadlocks. And then if it wasn't dreadlocks, it was um, a bit of an afro or just, just longish, longish hair. So Stephen's just sat there um, basically being jealous, going, God, I, w I, wish, I, I wish I could do that. The, um, <laughs> uh, let's, throw, let's go right back then. What, what, what was your first ever rugby memory? First ever? Yep. Oh, I guess playing, what was it, under fives, under six with uh, bare feet on the old cold grass. And yeah, just, I think mean, that's probably the fondest memory I had back in, um, I think I was in uh, Walkworth at the time. I was pretty uh, young back then. And then if it wasn't Walkworth, it was um, Tomorata, another another moment where I kind of started playing playing a bit of footy with um, a lot of friends and stuff, bare feet first. And then, you know, we were pretty stoked to start start playing in boots, you know. So you'd always try and get the flashest boots, but sometimes that wouldn't work out. You just got what you get, got given, I guess. And this was, uh, we're talking, yeah, four, five, full contact, none of this messing around with sort of uh, ripper rugby or or touch? Yeah, no, nah, she was pretty much full contact when, when I was playing in bare feet. So, yeah, there's a lot of good tackles back then or scragging or what you call it back then, but it's, there was no um, ripper. But but obviously, to, to as, as a thing to look after the young little kids, bare feet, so the rucking wasn't quite so, it wasn't, wasn't quite so dangerous. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. There was rucking back then when you were a, a little kid too, but I suppose the kids never really knew to really ruck back then. It's just, if you just got stood on, you kind of moved out of the way anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, are you another one that used to get up in the middle of the night uh, to watch all black overseas All Blacks tests as well? Did your dad get you up for, with, with a mug of Milo in front of the fire watching those, uh, watching those sort of three oh. games, games at three o'clock in the morning? Nah, no, no. So to be honest, I wasn't that, that type of kid that really, really got into watching the All Blacks. But um, you know, when you got older, when you got a bit older with your friends, you know that they were when you had your sleepovers, then you'd be keen to watch the All Blacks up early in the mornings. But no, I never really got the old man to wake me up and stuff like that. I was probably too busy worried about um, you know, playing rugby with the, with the mates. Oh, so it's more you're 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 more a player than a watcher. The um, opposite of me, who basically yeah doesn't like getting squashed. Um, so looking at this, you did you didn't follow the a lot of people in Northland. They come down to play first fifteen rugby in Auckland. Um, you you stayed up there in uh, in Rodney College. You didn't make that make that uh, that move south. Yeah, nah. Well, I think when I was in Rodney College, I don't, I don't think I was any good at rugby you know it was just i just played for the fun of it with the with the lads you know it was i wouldn't think rugby would be a career for me at the time i was more playing rugby just to hang with mates and you know as the generation moved on yeah, a lot a lot of the kids around rodney you know further up north start getting those um oh what do you call it when you get those tuitions or whatever to go play first thing in other schools and stuff like I don't think they really had that when I was playing at school so I don't know it wasn't a big big worry for me back then I was just playing rugby for mates so when when did it when did you kind of twig that rugby could be a career rather than just hanging out with mates well, I guess when I um so I played a bit of age group through with Northland you know 
making under 19s and under 20s. And it wasn't until after the I played under 20s with Northland, and then Northland had the development team under the NPC team, and then yeah, I got exposed to a lot, lot more. A lot more coaches told me, like, oh, you know, you could really have a shot here, any if you, you know, have a decent crack." And then I suppose yeah, the one year I made the development, I played all right, but then I was working at the time as well, so I was like, probably. Probably the following year, actually, when um, oh, you know, this was back in '06, I think, when Mark Enskin was the was the coach for Northland, and you have like these certain high performance group, and I don't know there's a squad of like 40 or 50, and it always gets cut back, and I always got caught into some of them, but never making it up to trainings and stuff like that, just through work. So I told them, I was like, well, well, I'm not going to make I'm I'm not going to bother. I'm going to just stick to work. You know, I can't afford to lose money working and stuff like that. And then, literally, the following month, I made the, I think, the second to last cut. So I was like, well, if they're picking me, I might as well have a decent crack. And then, yeah, fair enough. I ended up getting picked and it kind of just took off there, like, kind of like straight away. And it kind of went up pretty fast for me because. You know, I didn't know what high performance rugby was back then, and I was just playing club and stuff like that. Wow! Um, what 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 work were you doing? I was working in uh, in Wellsford. There was a the Borahini's construction, so just you know, drain laying uh, on the, on the road sites, and you know, stop and go, just put everything there, drain laying, and just uh, civil civil works, but everything I've had a fair few jobs before uh, Northland kind of kicked off, which was, um, I guess, for me a bit of a blessing, you know. Kind of, um, I wasn't too good at school, so trying to get a few trades under my belt. So you, so you went from digging by the side of the road, laying drains, to going over to somewhere like, um, like like Dubai in South Africa with the Sevens in the space of about two or three months. That's a pretty much. When you say meteoric rise, that's um, that's pretty quick to go from yeah, go from not thinking it's even a career to being playing playing international rugby for the sevens for the with um, with Gordon Titchens. How did he? How did he find you? Yeah, well, he found me pretty raw and pretty fresh, and I think there's a lot of a lot of coaches and players. You know, they looked at me of kind of kind of like a shock. Like I was pretty rugged and. You know, from playing playing Northland in 06, then I get picked for Gordon Titchen Sevens team, and then I got picked for the Blues Wider back then, and it was just like that. You know, it was just straight up. It was pretty surreal at the time, and you know, I didn't know what to expect. You know, it was just it was just all kind of thrown at me. So you you and again, there's uh, some some people and players will look at this going how um, because you what you your, your nutrition. Um, were you uh, nice salads, uh, lean chickens, or uh, chicken breasts, and all that kind of stuff in the evening, or, or, or proper nutrition, or was it pies and uh, and and all that kind of stuff? And yeah, in this high performance thing, as you say, totally yeah, alien exactly. To like back, back then, my my nutrition was, you know, it wasn't the greatest. Like you know, I was in what eighteen, nineteen, and you know, 
drinking with mates and eating whatever and then you know you get thrown into like a professional environment and it's just like oh you know you gotta try and stick on a, a strict diet and you gotta train you know pretty much every day and it was, it was, it was, it was pretty hectic at the start eh? but you got you learn pretty quickly and being in that sevens environment like it's probably the fittest I've ever been actually and Gordon Titian and his uh, you know his, his nutritionist is like it's just a whole nother level above to work it because he's he's someone who has a reputation for um, not taking any shit as it were I mean he's he's a bit of bit of a, a strict a, a strict coach oh strict strict on training strict on diets just he's he's, he's a full on man but um you know he's an honest he's an honest fellow and. What I liked about him is, you know, he, he said he said what what he thought and and what he thinks. So, like, you know, that, that's kudos to me. Like, if he didn't say, you know, like proper like honest opinions about me, I, I don't think I'd almost um be playing rugby in some sort of ways. So those so two so two key guys there in your in your development, uh, Mark Anscom in, in selecting you and getting you into that Northland team, and then. Gordon Titchens, those two coaches who I guess took you from, or basically told you you could be you could be a pro. This this could be this could be your life, right? Yeah, exactly. Mark Anskin kind of gave me, you know, he gave me that opportunity to um, play for Northland, you know, and give it a decent crack. You know, he's seen something in me, I guess. And then with being in Titchens' group, with his honesty and just with his, oh, just you know, his professionalism of being a professional athlete you know he told me i could go to play you know go places and you know if i try and stick to it so yeah you know it was kind of it was kind of good i quite enjoyed enjoyed having uh gordon titchens as a coach and you had sorry go on Stephen. i've i've got a, a quick question really i know that the wellsford area is is very close to your heart and you came across from uh tomorato to play for for uh, for Wellsford and yourself and Fitivana Kolo were terrorising defences in, in in club rugby. But was there anybody at the Wellsford Rugby Club that you that you looked after and gave you plenty of encouragement to go to the next level in terms of provincial rugby? Uh, yes, I had a coach, um, Adrian Ferris. You know, he, he, he coached Northland uh, for a year or two, and um, yeah, he gave me a bit of a bit of a real confidence to. Um, Saying I could, you know, get to that next level, and um, and then I've had like just even club players, you know, that, that are real good friends, and you know, that they, they still give me stick about it, but you know, they always told me that, you know, you, you could be a good rugby player any if you kind of stuck to it, like stop, you know, stop hanging around of us, hanging around them, having a few too many beers. So yeah, there's a couple of boys there, and um, I suppose Adrian gave me the decent crack at playing club at Wildsford, you know, like, well, you know, I was playing Tom Ryder for like three, three or four seasons in their, in their prems when I was like, you know, 16, 17 years old. So, no, it was good though. And, and just in terms of some of the relationships you, you forged at Wildsford as well, the, the, the Wright brothers, also Paddy Joe Aikens, big part of your life, those chips. Yeah, you know, yeah, we went to school together, you know, and me and Ross are the same age, and um, I always pushed them, 
because we were in, we were in the academy together, and you know there was always good props and um, hookers. You know when we were coming up, you know you had Tim Dow and um, Jamie and stuff like that, Pinder and that like that. So I don't know. I just kind of keep driving him to try and reach his potential of um, representing Northland, and then you had Maddie, who was a year or two under us, and it was just. You know, being together, I suppose, you know, we kind of pushed each other to try and, to try and, you know, play in that Northland together, you know, being from down here, representing, um, you know, Wellsford and Rodney College. Was there a player in the Northland region, you know, once you started to progress to that provincial level that you looked at and thought to yourself, wow, he's, he's pretty good or you've always got to be on guard whether you're playing against him? Yeah, I suppose there's been a couple of fellows like, well, when the when the like the likes of Gus Collins and David Hallwell, you know, when they Jake Pangaratoi, you know, when they when they were playing, you know, and I got the opportunity to play against them, Hayden Taylor and stuff like that, like it's like, wow, these are big names of Northland. So, you know, it was always good to try and you know try and play your best against them, you know, because. As you started watching North and you looked at them and just the way they played, they always went hundred percent. It was like, you know, that that's where you want to be. I've often said to a lot of people that uh, sometimes when you watch North and Club Rugby, it's a little bit like rugby league. Everybody wants to get their ball in, you know, the the the, the ball in their hands and just run hard at the opposition. But uh, you do see a lot of talented guys come out of the region. Oh man, there's plenty up here, you know, because we've got such a big region. It's just it's just getting Northland to focusing more on those outer regions and stuff like that because, well, I'll tell you, man, there's a lot of talented players up here in the far north. And, you know, when we were first playing club, you know, we were playing right up in Awanui and stuff like that as like a whole competition. You know, they were great players. And like you said, it's almost like league, you know. Boys want to get the ball, just run hard. And, you know, I, don't, I remember how many times I used to come back after blues and I'll be like, Oh, can I play club? You know, like I love I love playing club with your mates. And you know, they always risk like, oh, we don't want you getting hurt and stuff like this. Mm. People always got a target on your head, but I don't know, that's the sort of stuff I like. I love I love getting hit. Because, you know, if you hit them back, it's like, mate, they they show you a lot of respect coming back playing club. So are you gonna be uh, a little sort of side note, are you are you gonna be playing a bit of club rugby this season? Yeah, shit, yeah. I think we start, I think our club season kicks off and um, same as when Super kicks off. So we start, well, we got club training next week and then with Northland, we have our HP trainings um, that's going to happen once a week until midway between club or near club, then we'll start going a bit more. So now all the boys are keen to, to get me to play because, you know, after coming back from the States, so I was just like, I was only just started getting into it when I was playing in the States, so came to get into some club footy. Well, let's, actually, let's, let's uh, jump jumping around a bit here, but let's talk about States. How did the move to Colorado come about? Um, yeah, well, well, the coach, Peter Borlase, he, um, you know, he played down in Crusaders and the Highlanders, and um, one of our mates, Bronson Murray, played down in the Highlanders and was started being good mates with uh, Pete Borlase, and he come up north up, Hurricano and we were up there camping for a week or so and um, he, they come up and just got to know him long through Bronny, just real good mates and then 
he'd been in the States for eight or nine years and it wasn't until last year, I think, he got the head coach for um, the Colorado Raptors and he just he just kind of threw a mention out to me to me and he was like, oh, Rennie, what's the chances of coming over and having a, have a stint over in the States? And then I was like, oh, yeah, I could be keen. I'll just, well, at the time I've just done my ACL. So I was like, oh, I've just done my ACL, but there was a couple of clubs in Super that were um, interested at the time. And I was like, oh, if the wait, if, I, if, if the opportunity doesn't go here, then I'll be keen to come for a stint. And um, fair enough, didn't quite crack the super. So, um, yeah, had a bit of a stint in uh, Colorado there. So what did you what did you make of... Uh, so, yeah, you, you, you're right, the, the, uh, the, the head coach over there, um, well, in the first season, they, they, they made it to the final. The second season, he didn't have such a good, good season and, and hence they, they changed their head coaches. Um uh, and obviously, this was season three that you were going into. Uh, how did you find the the level of of major league rugby over there, similar to say minor ten cup or club rugby? Where, where where would you judge it? Yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's similar similar to minor minor, I guess. But I guess just the skill wise over in the states is not quite quite as up to um, minor, I'd say. But you know, they still try and play like a fast paced rugby there. But you know, they're contact there is quite quite big you know just big american boys and stuff like that but i guess just channel channeling all their attributes into skills it's like a, a kind of a different level like they're, they're quite uh well the team i was playing for the raptors um they the coach the coach would give out a structure you know like a, a format of how we're going to play and stuff like this but you know, like rugby's rugby, things go out of hand, and then they get it's they get confused of trying to go back to playing back to the structure of rugby. Where you know, over here in New Zealand, wider, you just you kind of flow with the game, and then you kind of fall back into your shape anyway. So, in a way, it's kind of up and down over there in the states, but um, well, I can tell it was improving over there. Yeah, yeah. By the sounds of it, what you're saying is, yeah, the, uh, very good athletes, but not quite rugby players yet. So, yeah, that, so, and that's the that's the bit that's going to take some time. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Um, so, obviously, I mean, unfortunately, the Colorado, Colorado Raptors have um, pulled out of Major League Rugby. So, I guess you're not going back next year. That was just a one year thing. Yeah, well, I only signed a one year contract there, and um, well, we actually thought they would still be there in the next year or two, but. Yeah, we just we got the email and stuff saying that they've actually pulled out of the whole competition. So, yeah, I don't know. Never know. Fucking, they've actually had a couple of other offers from the states, but you know, I'm first and foremost concentrating on uh, Northland season first. Yeah, no, I've had a chat with um, uh, Junior, and I've gone blank to his surname, who plays who's playing for Utah as well. So yeah, there's there's, there's, there's a few of you boys, uh, the my Ten Cup boys, going over there now uh, and enjoying that. Um, uh, enjoying the American lifestyle. But coming back to um, your kind of growth, in, made it into the Blues in two thousand and nine. Um, got yourself into uh, got a bit got a bit of a, a suspension for a late and a high tackle. Um, playing with the uh, over in over in South Africa. How did you find your first trip over there to against playing against the Bulls on the Vestavel on the at the high high uh, high altitude? Yeah, I guess it's pretty pretty freaky. You know, look at the South African boys. You know, they they, they were huge fellas, and <laughs> and then the high altitude was just, you know, first kind of season. It was just like a bit of a shock to the system, and 
I don't know, I just thought oh, since I've got the starting spot, I might as well just, you know, just grab with both hands and I don't know, just try and hit these big fellas, you know, like it was pretty, pretty tough. Like, I actually, well, I think that game, it was lucky well, with that high tackle. Well, I wouldn't say high, but it was a good hit. But I actually, one of the South African locks need my eye and I got a fractured eye socket. So in a way, the suspension kind of worked because it took me about a week, a week to um to come right before I could fly. So I think we played the, the Stormers the, the following week. Right. And I couldn't fly, so I had to drive from Pretoria all the way to Cape Town. It was like an like 18, 19 hour drive. Mm, that's it. It was unreal. <laughs> Rennie, I, I must ask you about the South African mentality. We, we have a correspondent, John, John O'Connor, and we always speak about the South African teams, especially at home. They're, they're probably a little bit like France when they play at home. They play like men possessed. You find them a little bit different when they travel away or pretty much the same? Oh. Yeah, I guess, eh? Like, I think the South African teams are getting better playing away now, you know? Just, mm. I think, mean, like, those few years ago, you know, they were always, you know, it was, it was they were, they played, like, they played unreal. Like, they had a good crowd, a, a good fan base in South Africa. But then, again, like, when New Zealand was playing there, like, a lot of the South Africans love New Zealand teams. Mm. So, it was, a, it was always going to be a tough game playing over there. And similar to here, being in a New Zealand team, you're always expected to try and play as well as you in and, and it's it's almost they're adapting to like New Zealand and even Australia. Like the South African teams are playing playing well these days, home and away. And I've got to and I've got to ask you about uh, playing the local New Zealand teams as well. In recent times, we hear a lot of New Zealand players say, "Wow, these local derbies are as physical as they get. They're tough, and they're almost at Test match." level would you agree yeah i would say so like you know you're playing another new zealand team it's almost a trial match for for the all Blacks. so and it's just it's that high intensity it almost does feel like a test match and then you know the, the it almost brings the best out of the both both derby teams you know like that they want to express themselves and then again like i wouldn't say we, we, we're not as big as the South African boys, but, you know, the, these Kiwi boys are pretty physical at the same time. You know, we've grown up playing rugby at such a young age that, you know, we're, we're almost immune to big hits and stuff like that, I reckon. During, then, your, during your, uh, your career with... Oh, sorry, Paul, just a quick question. During your career with the Blues... It, there was also obviously a, a lot of speculation just before you went to to Montpellier that um, the Warriors had spoken to you. Was there any any stage during your rugby career that rugby league was an option? Oh yes, and no. I think I think well, it was probably what wasn't even before the Montpellier. I think it was before I re-signed with Blues again that I had some interest in playing league from a couple of agents, but. I think I'm already been. I might have been like mid mid twenties, maybe late late to the mid twenties, and I got offered. But at that time of the stage, I thought rugby was, you know, I quite enjoyed playing rugby, and I just thought if I switched to playing league, I think it would take me I don't know a year or two to try and get used to it. So 
I just kind of just, nah, just stuck to rugby instead. I quite enjoy rugby, but better. So you had that, let's say 2009, you got your trips uh, with the uh, Junior All Blacks um, playing what Samoa, Fiji, Japan, Tonga. I think you played in three of those games. Um, and then the next year, the All Blacks come knocking. Uh, so what, what, what was it like taking that step up then from the Blues environment to the All Blacks environment? How did you find, uh, how did you find that, that, that switch? Oh, it was unreal. Like, you know, playing Blues and you made the, the Junior All Blacks back then, it was like, it was pretty, it was surreal. And then, you know, that following year in 2010, I had a pretty good uh, uh, super season. And then, like, I didn't even, um, I actually got caught in, caught, caught in for injury cover when we were done in Hamilton. I mean, it was a Steinlager series back then, I think. And we played Wales. And um, I didn't actually think I was going to get a game. I just come in for training. It was like the last game of that series. And uh, yeah, fair enough, I got picked. I got picked when I, to sit on the bench and, you know, I was stoked there. So I called my auntie and my uncle to come down and watch. My mum was up north. She couldn't quite make it. But um, yeah, it all happened pretty fast. I trained on the wing all week and then um, I ended up going in at centre. So I was like, I was nervous at the same time. I was like, oh, I've only done a couple of trainings at centre because um, Conrad got injured. So I was like, Oh, I reckon I had a pretty all right game. I think I played like 30 minutes, maybe 30 or 20 minutes. And then, yeah, fair enough. The next day, you know, getting ready to jump into my car, head back up north. And then um, I think a coach or the manager come down. He's like, oh, we're off to any. I'm like, oh, I'm off home. And they're like, oh, we've just, we've just announced the Tri-Nations and you got picked. And I was like, oh. <laughs> I, had no, I actually had no clue. I was just like, "Sweet, I'm there for a, for a game." You know. So you, so you, you could you could have driven away and been halfway up to Auckland, had a phone call. Oi, get back here! <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It, it wasn't until I got into the elevator with my suitcase and I seen them. Uh, you know, they must have the media conference and stuff like that. And I just I was stoked to play play my first cat. So I was like, "Yes, yeah, sweet." But you know, I didn't hear anything after that. So I was like, oh, well, time to go home. And then, yeah, fuck, you're in the Tri-Nation squad, Rennie. So I was like, fuck, I was stoked there. So I stuck around. <laughs> I, so, so look, it, it sounds like you're kind of like, yeah, I'm playing club footy. Hey, oh, I'm, oh wow, shit, I'm, I'm now a, I'm, I'm now playing minor 10. I'm now sort of semi-pro. Oh, wow, I'm now a, 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 a sevens. Um, at which stage do you start actually believing in yourself that, Hey, look! I am actually international class. I'm good. I can do this stuff, as opposed to just kind of like, "Wow, it's a surprise! I've got the next level." Kind of thing. Yeah, well, I suppose yeah. When they're 2010, and then cracking their tri nations is like, holy, you know, holy crap! I'm here. Like, I'm actually good enough to play with these fellas playing international. So, you know, I thought I played well, and then I guess the following years. You know, well, it was the World Cup or something. You know, and I kind of missed out. I kind of just missed out on that. So, I don't know, you kind of get on a bit of a mental downer, you know. You don't want to play as good or whatnot. And then, I guess you just try and play super rugby. You try and play great super rugby. But there was always, there's always younger fellas coming in, playing, playing well. So, it's kind of hard mentally and physically just to try and stay at that high standard 
you know, for, for that All Black International. And, you know, I thought I was playing great um, super rugby. And then I guess it wasn't until John Kerwin became the head coach for the Blues in 2013. And then, you know, I had another great season. And then, yeah, I got picked for that French series. So I was pretty stoked. So were the, were the All Black selectors talking to you? And did they, were they telling you why you weren't making why you kind of missed out on a few games over those couple of years? Yeah, no, not really, eh? They, oh, I never really got, got much feedback, really. Like, So I just kind of thought they lost interest in me, you know? I just thought they, they were picking the other players that were stepping up. So, you know, all I could do myself was just try and play the best I can be and be as fit as I can be. And then, you know, just, like just back in 2010 when I got picked for the Tri-Nations, like, I didn't know anything about it. It was kind of similar to that leading up to the um, to 2013 where, where I made the All Blacks again. So I never really got kept in the loop as, as much so as probably other players, but you know, I guess that's rugby, you know, it's always up and down. So the, um, so, so yeah, the, the coach you had at the Blues there, so what, that would have been, as you mentioned, John Kerwin um, came in and before that, um, was um, uh, uh, Pat Lamb was 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 there? Um, so so they they were they weren't uh, sort of handing down saying, "Hey, look, work on this," and or, or, or we think you're in the talks. There was nothing from them, or, or they weren't kept in the loop either. Well, I guess well when I, when I was with Pat Lamb before before John Kieran, like I don't know, I can't I can't really recall him telling me what what I had to work on for the All Blacks. It was just matter of you know you know blues focus at the time and at the time that, that that's what i was doing i was just focusing on the blues you know i thought those opportunities were gone with the all blacks so you know i thought i was there or thereabouts coming into that world cup but you know i think i probably got the phone call saying i wasn't going to make it that was about it so wow i, I always thought there'd be more more communication than that going on um and then, uh, so, so when did you decide to go, or or how did the Montpellier move come about? Yeah, so that was 2013. You know, it was like, this is when I think Steve Henson ended up taking over head coach, I think. And then um, I hit him up. I had, um, I think Darren Wickham was a Northland coach at the time as well. And then Darren just told me, he's like, mate, if you, if you want to start getting, you know, some some answers, you might as well just ring them up. So I rang them up, I rang up Steve Henton, I just asked him, I was like, oh, mate, what's the chances of, um, you know, of cracking this all-black team? Like, what, what have I got to do and stuff like this? And even then, it was pretty blunt, eh? Like, I, I got pretty much nothing, eh? I was like, he was just, uh, he was just like, mate, just trying to have a good, um, good uh, super, super season. So I was just like, oh, sweet as, you know, I thought, I never really got too much information on that year. And then, yeah, the opportunity came up in Montpellier. And then I was, in a way, too good to turn down. You know, I was, you know, getting between my late late 20s, you know, started thinking about my family. And, you know, rugby overseas is quite good, you know, with the old um, paycheck, you know. So, you know, I took that opportunity with um, both hands. And then... Out of nowhere, I guess just mentally, 
not concentrating on the All Blacks. I had a good a good season with the um, with the Blues, and um, fuck yeah, I ended up getting picked for the um, the All Blacks for that French series. So I was just like, <laughs> like you know, like far out. If you had told me at the start of the season, you know, maybe I would have delayed the Montpellier option. Yep. Because I because I had, I got nothing, I was just like, oh well, you know, I better start thinking thinking for myself and my family. And then after the French series, I ended up getting picked for the um, end of year tour or something. The, 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 the Tri Nations again, I think it was. Yep. Yeah, Tri Nations or something. Yeah. And then I told them, I was like, nah, I'll play for Northland instead, bro. Might as well focus on someone else. And they were trying to make it work. Like, I gave kudos to Steve and all the management and stuff. They were like, you know, when they, when they signed to um, France, you know, there, there would have been a fee if, if I had to get out of their contracts or sign, I signed like a pre-contract. Yep. But... I wasn't going to pay that much to fucking sign out of that. Yeah. So he was. So he was just like, you know, we can make it work for the Tri Nations and stuff like this for your renew, like to organise your visa and stuff like this. And I just thought, nah, I've just had my first my first born. I was like, oh, I'll just I'll just stay home and play for Northland if that's all, all good. And then um, yeah, he kind of he kind of agreed, and he was pretty happy for me to do that. Cool, and I think the my, my experience of the the, the all back sex as long as there's a, there's a there's been communication that on the whole they're, they're kind of pretty good with. I mean, there's, there's been a couple that have gone overseas they're not be happy about with like Charles Pietau and uh, Lua Tua, uh, but if that conversation's there, it's they, they seem to wish you well. Um, so it's good. It's good that you guys uh, parted on on good terms. Um, oh yeah, I guess yeah the thing that people don't, sorry. I see, yeah, no doubt. Shag, Shag was like a great coach when when I had him with two thousand thirteen, and I had a lot of a lot of info from him back then. Where back in two thousand and ten, I was with uh, you know Graham Henry, Sue Graham, and there yeah, just not much conversations or information back then. So, which is all good. That's interesting because I mean, they don't the. the being part of the three wise men, they I think a lot of us see them as being pretty similar. From the outside, they, they, they look pretty similar similar types of coaches. You're saying that they're, they're very you know, that, that Ted and Shag have got very different styles of coaching. Oh, I reckon, I reckon. I guess when when I was under Graham Henry when he was the coach, but you know he was a serious fella, but he was you know he was a good bloke to talk to, and back then. I was really intimidated by Shag. And then um, you had um, uh, Wayne, was it Wayne Peters? Wayne? Wayne Smith? Wayne Smith, Wayne yeah. Smith and um, Wayne Smith. Wayne Smith was just another, he was just a real open, calm, loved, loves a good chat. You know, and I was real intimidated by Steve. And then 2013, like Steve Hansen was just, a real, real different dude back then, man. Like such a good fella to talk to. Like lo- loves, loves giving a little bit of stick, you know. So, and then I guess the the coaching wise was, I reckon, it was a lot different from 2010 to 2013. Just a different format of of, of playing and different, or well, just another 
step of higher level of skills back then. It was just, yeah, unreal. It sounds like you enjoyed the environment in 2013 when you had a bit more, I guess, a bit more, uh, bit more experience. You enjoyed it a lot more the second time around than the first time around when it was a bit, all a bit scary. Yeah, exactly. Like you know, being a young fella just coming out of nowhere, you, you, you know, you're rooming with uh, Richie McCall, captain and stuff. It's just like far out. Like you kind of know your place. You kind of know your place quite early when you're first in the team, and then as a couple of years or a few years get get by you know you mature a bit better and you learn to speak up a bit more and um yeah i actually enjoyed it way more back then in 2013. uh and then uh, i guess yeah that point you make about having your first your first kid a lot of people don't understand don't kind of get how much travel you guys have to do with the rugby with the the tri-nations was also one of the reasons for going to montpellier the, the sort of actually being at home some of the time or and uh, not having to travel quite so much, or was that not really on the radar at that point? Oh, it's just at that point of the time, it's just yeah, in a way, you're in New Zealand super and stuff, you're away quite a bit in France. You know, they said, you know, when your, your family's there, I've got a first kid, like over there, you play if you play away, you fly back the same day, so you, you just, you're just at home a lot more over in France, and then you get when they have the Six Nations and stuff like that, the the top 14 competition or the European, like the, you, you get like a week off, so you get a bit more extra time with your family, even though the season's a lot, even though the season's longer over there. Like you probably have more time with your family there. And then the money's better over there at the moment. So, you know, kind of, you kind of click it together and it's just like, sweeties. <laughs> Rennie, I've got a I've got a question just in and around the the style of game that they play in Montpellier. I uh, I watched quite a bit of your your rugby when you went over there, and uh, I always look at French club rugby, and it, it kind of looks like a war of attrition, especially in the forwards. They look like they love bashing into each other, and and sometimes for outside backs, it can be maybe difficult to get you know get ball in your hands, basically, so to speak, and and basically you know show the potential that you got. But did you find that a bit frustrating at times? Oh, it did. It, start, it did at the start, you know. And then, you know, when the contract come by and they're talking about Montpellier, how they like to play a, a good open game and stuff like this, and then you kind of get there and it wasn't like that. It was just like you said, like, you know, you got big Georgian, Georgian props and all this sort of stuff, mm -hmm. and, they, and they they love, they love, you know, they scrum for penalties, you know. It's... Mm -hmm. And being out on the outside back, it's like, you know, you've either got to go looking for the work or else you, you're, you're kicking, you, you're chasing kicks. So it's, it's they have an expectation on you how to, what, what they've seen in super super rugby or, you know, with international. And then you try and, um, you know, play that platform that you've been doing over there. And then they've just got a whole different kind of system and expect you to, play at their level but you, you're still trying to adapt to how, how they're kind of playing so you know there were some games where we could play some open rugby there when when it was a lot drier and then when it got wet you know it was just yeah full on forwards crash bash so yeah, it, was, it got frustrating at times but you know being over there was like a like another player say it you know it's, it's, it's a good mental challenge you know to, to, to challenge yourself 
you know, playing out of your comfort zone and, you know, you kind of, in the years come, you, you kind of benefit from it, you know, you get that experience and you know, I was good. Like, I, I enjoyed it, but as you said, frustrating at times. Yeah, who were you? And I know you're some um, Montpellier. Who was the coach? Uh, it was Fabian Geltier. Okay. International halfback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was new French coach now. White, I was wondering if it was when Jake White was there, but no. Yeah, I was there. I was there. I was there when he when he when he come. He he come there as a what you call it like a overseeing type of thing, and then next minute, you know, Fabian ended up getting the sack, and then I got coached coached with him for kind of one season. And um, yeah, he, he he's he's a good coach, you know. His his format of playing was real simple and. I quite enjoyed it, like some players didn't, because he was a type of coach that brought a lot of staffers like straight in straight away. So a lot of the French boys didn't quite like it, but yeah, I kind of got along with them, along with them all. Just in terms of some of the stuff that you were missing back home, and and I know what your answer is going to be, but when you anybody who uh, is probably watching the stream or will, will, will tune in, what were the things that you were missing from home while you were in France? Oh, I guess just the, you know, the the seafood back at home, the, the hunting, the outdoors, you know, like, you know, I was in the south of France, so it was like, you know, you had the beach there and stuff like that, but, you know, you try and go and eat a kinder over there, the kinder's are only like <laughs> this small, you know, yeah. so even, even the, you know, the muscles were just tiny, so, yeah, I, I guess you just kind of miss, miss those deli delicacy, delicacies at home, you know, of, um, going out fishing, going out hunting, you know, even having like a meat pie or something, you know, you didn't quite have that in France. So it's just, just, uh, you know, local Kiwi boys, you know, what they always miss when they always go overseas, you know. And then you had family, you know, you always miss your family, but, you know, you had Skype back then and whatnot. I'm a bit I'm a bit surprised about the hunting side, though, because I mean, my, my parents live in France, uh, just um, not, not far from La Rochelle. Uh, and there are wild boar hunts. Um, they get invited to the wild boar hunt dinners and that kind of stuff. So, and there is, there is uh, the, the French do have a, have a, a culture of hunting as well, don't they? Um, or I don't know if you Oh, know. yeah, most definitely. In some places, oh, well, I played in La Rochelle, and to go hunting in La Rochelle, where I was, I think it was about an hour away to, to, to go to a hunting spot. But, like, you know, a lot of those players weren't really into hunting when I was in the team. Like, a lot of them did a lot of like bird shooting and stuff like that, but it was kind of hard to try and get into the, the the momentum of trying to get to know people that hunt balls and stuff like that over there. Cause like, yeah, like you got France and Europe. Yeah. So it's just finding the opportunity to, to go and hunt there. Um, You've also got your, your barbarian game there uh, over, over there. I guess what's, What's one of the one of your sort of favourite memories of, uh, of of games, or when you when your favourite games you played? Um, yeah, it's a hard one. Um, I think it was a game we played against Clermont. Might have been that game where I got Sinbin. I, I tackled um, that Morgan Paraha or whatever. Because mm -hmm. there's a a big um. Emphasis in France when they play away that they, they never send a, a strong team. Yep. And um, yeah, we played in Clermont. We had a pretty average team, 
you know, Clermont are the big dogs over there, and you know, we we managed to beat them, and it was just like it was it was unreal. I think I, I might have been to to make the top six. I can't quite remember. I think it was, but um, I think that that was a a real rememberable game against Clermont, and then. I think uh, our semi-finals we played against Cast, and um, yeah, we just we just missed out on that on that game. Like we we should have won it, but you know, being 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 Frenchy, you know, they they take a, a few things too serious sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say, since since your um uh your your, your kind of uh, Montpellier days, uh, it was great to see you come back to Blues. But it does seem that you've, you've, you've that, that sort of since two thousand and fifteen ish, you, you've had a whole series of injuries which which kind of slowed you down or or held back your your um uh your your, your progress. Has that been has, has that been a bit of a struggle, um sort of on on the mental side as well, having to sort of recover and come back from so many injuries? Yeah, it's uh, that's that's probably been one of the biggest challenges after coming back from France. Whether it's just going back into the high intensity trainings, and then, you know, I was quite thankful I, I didn't have too many injuries before then. You know, like, you know, I played a fair few games, and then, yeah, literally coming back. I think from France, the first time I had my I had neck surgery, and then I just come right for the Blues. I signed back with the Blues, literally five six games into it. I did my ACL. So then I was out for that season, and then, and then I was out for Mara season, and then um, I, I think the following season I I did my ankle, but, and then here yeah, it was just it was oh, it got frustrating, and then like you know what kept me motivated was just keep training, to trying to come back better and, and stronger, you know, because the games I did come back from injuries, it was just like you know I, I think I played real well, you know, and then. For that third, that second year, like you know, it could have been injuries that played me out of being re-signed again. But you know, it's, it's one of those fifty-fifties. You know, you can't blame the coaches. You can't blame yourself. It's just like you know, back then I thought loyalty was quite quite big, but you know, sometimes it's not. And then yeah, you go back overseas, and then yeah, just coming back another two ACLs, like. Mate, it's just been it's been it's been unreal. Like the amount of injuries I've had lately, it's you know I'm hopefully um, I'm done done with them. Yeah, so you you you, you only played like you played like eleven games in two seasons for the Blues. You only got seven games for La Rochelle. I mean, look, I mean they're like they're like a 38, 40 game season, and you only managed seven games over there. Three games for the um, Red Dolphins, and I guess that's Japan. I think what you only only that uh, one game for the Sunwolves. Uh, yeah, it has been a real uh, Colorado. You get four games in, and suddenly they cancel the season. Um, you're just looking yeah, good. Right. It all. <laughs> oh, the coronavirus comes. Um, so you, you, you're both more fit and healthy now. Yeah, well, you know, like you said, I was had that one game with the Samuels injured, and then I was hoping to come back. To play for the Tony Fars back then, but they said, "No, nah, don't risk it, Winnie. Like you just come here from an ACL, and then you know get the opportunity to play in the states." And then, yeah, you know, I started finding started finding my game back. You know, I played like like you said, three or four games, and slowly finding my form back. You know, which was pretty encouraging. And then, yeah, for the old virus, the old kick in, it's 
you know, it's almost like another injury. You you, you got to you got to wait again for the next opportunity to play again. You know, like yeah, it gets frustrating, eh? But it's uh, I guess mentally it's challenging. You know, like do you put your head down or do you just wait for that next opportunity and just try even harder? Really, one season, one season that you looked like you were really, really enjoying, and it was the season that you you teamed up with Jack Goodhue in the midfield for Northland was 2017, and you looked like you were having a, a lot of fun that season with a team that was playing some really good rugby. Yeah, you know, that, I was, you know, when we found out Jack was coming back up north, you know, and you know he was just he was you know carving up for the Crusaders back then and. Oh, there was a few of us boys knew that he was gonna that he was gonna come to um be an all black. You know, we all said, mate, you're gonna be an all black, bro. And then for him to um to play with, you know, and, and get all his knowledge from down in the Crusaders and bring all his info. And then, you know, we had Dan Pryor and the you know Pryor brothers. We had a pretty pretty strong, solid uh, solid side, and um, I think that was the first time we made the the semis in in a while. So. You know, I guess just the environment, we just a good bunch of boys and, you know, we kind of clicked together and, you know, we just missed out. But, no, that, that was a great year. Like, a lot of the boys enjoyed that year. And last time you played for the Taniwha was back in 2018. You're sitting on something like about 86, 87 games. And, of course, we spoke about the injury, injury which probably curtailed another eight or nine games in last year's season. How, how important would it be for any Ranger to get to that 100-game mark for the Tanifa? Yeah, nah. It's, it's, it's been on my head, you know. I've been a lot hey, to try and crack that 100, you know. You know, get those games up with those other legends, you know, the likes of Bonson, you know, um, Hayden Taylor, Gus, David, you know. like You know, I've got Ross, you know. Ross is surely going to get his 100 this year. You know, I've been playing longer than him as well, so he's kind of pipped me on the on the on the tallies. But you know, I've, I've been been quite a bit. It'd be pretty a special moment to try and get the old hundred games for the Otanifas. So um, we'll see. Hopefully, that that comes. So, ready? Yeah. Uh, Thirty-three. How many more years do you reckon you got in in you and? And also, what what have you got planned for for post for post uh, playing career? Have you, have you thought about what you'd be doing next? Oh, yeah, oh, I'd like to try and play as long as I can. You know, while the body's feeling better after all these injuries, so you know, I'd like to kick on, say, another two or three years. You know, you know, the goal to try and crack the um, the hundred again, and you know, be another goal to try and crack super again. But you know, if that opportunity comes, you know, I might look. A board again, but it's getting to that stage where you know, yeah, life after rugby, you got to start looking at. So, I haven't thought too much of life after rugby at the moment. Where I have a, um, a mate, he, he works doing retaining walls and fencing, you know, stuff like that, or try and get into the. Um, I'm really keen to get into the drain lane business. So, um, try try and start a business of doing some drain lane. You know, they, it's well. You know, it's a good job. It's outdoors. The coin's not too uh, not too bad too, I guess. But um, yeah, haven't really quite thought of it so far. Like my wife keeps reminding me, it's like, bro, you got to start sorting something out after after rugby or anywhere else. 
she told she she tells me to you know try and do the coaching course and stuff like that. But you know, you do coaching if you get up to that level, you're away from home again anyway. So it's like, well, do, do you really want to be away from home? You know, like you know, I think about you know maybe coaching the club side of stuff like that or helping out. But yeah, I don't see myself being the you know coaches. You know, it's a bit, bit stressful. You know, I can imagine the coaches trying to coach me it would have been pretty stressful so I don't, I don't think players would even listen to me <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh no thank you very much for your time Rennie it has been an absolute, an absolute pleasure folks we're now going to do a um, a name association game with him you'll be able to get access to that over on drivingmore.com as a little bit of an extra um, but Rennie Ranger thank you so much for coming on to the long talk it has been an absolute pleasure and uh I know Steve and I both look forward to watching you at, definitely in the um, uh, the Minor 10 Cup and maybe, hey, we might sneak up for a club game um, before then as well. So thank you um, very much for that. Uh, for that. Don't forget, folks, like the Facebook page, New Zealand Sport Radio. Uh, you can also listen to it on the podcast, um, uh, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, all those places. Just search for New Zealand Sport Radio. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.